Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran, and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia, and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, Blood and Bone, Seaweed, Biostimulants, Manure and Feather Meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Good morning. Hello. Welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to have you joining us this morning. We're here at um, Guru HQ, as you can kind of see over my shoulder, and we've got a living wall over my other shoulder. Of course, I'm Trevor Cochran, and uh, this is all about answering your gardening questions today. It's a very special day today, of course, something to really celebrate. It's the Hobart Regatta Day today, so everybody will be having a great time in Hobart. I'm sure there's something else going on as well. Oh, that's right, of course. Of course, it's Valentine's Day to all of you out there, all you lovers. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope it's a wonderful day for you. Have you bought a rose to somebody you love? Well, I'll be showing you how to keep them alive and keep them looking good. Maybe you forgot to buy your Valentine's a gift. Don't worry, I've got Ryan Peterson from Garden Express joining us. He's got a great deal. In fact, the plants that he's got today, one is there's not a lot of them, so it's going to be first in, first serve. And two is they would be one of my all-time favourites because they have the most beautiful perfume ever. I'll be sharing my plant of the week. And as always, we'll be answering your gardening questions and we'll have prizes for you as well. Um, when you do when you do send your questions through, please tell us where you're from. Really important. We've got such variable weather right across Australia at the moment. It helps me so much if you can just tell me your town, ideally your state, would be making life quite easy for me. And remember, if uh, you like what we're doing, of course, hit the like button. All right. Let's get going. Post your questions and I'll get answering them. And a bit later on, we'll have a couple of interviews and I'll show you how to get the best results out of your roses. Albert is from East Cannington in WA. I know East Cannington very well now. Albert, that is a good question. After planting and observing tens of petunias over the year, um, the symptom that leads to the death is always the same. From lush and thick foliage plants, the leaves always start to dry out, starting from the bottom of the stem right away to the top of the stem. Now I've tried troubleshooting this by planting them on the ground or in pots, planting them in a spot where they receive two, four, eight hours of sunlight. It feeds them with organic matter, um, with liquid fertilizer, and the problem's still occurring. Is this an expected condition for petunias? And is there anything you can do to fix this? You do mention in this that, that sometimes they'll start to recover and you'll see new growth. Now, Albert, there is a possibility that you're seeing a bit of thrip damage and that's causing those leaves to die off. But you have to remember that petunias are actually an annual. So they go through a growth cycle 
And typically when it, when the plant is mature and they've produced lots of flowers and the flowers go to seed, you'll see them suddenly start to die back. It's not an unusual thing for them to go off at that point in time. I would be recommending that you actually look at maybe giving them a bit of a spray just as they start to mature and start to grow out, just to make sure that you don't have any thrip problems. You could use something like Maverick. It's a, it's a, a, a control that is available through garden centres. All good garden centres should have it, and it should knock the, the thrips back. You'd only probably want to do it once or twice. And remember, they are an annual, so you've probably got yourself four or five months of really good flowering, and then they'll hang on for another five or six months before the winter kick, you know, kicks in and sets them back generally. So hopefully that helps. Let's go to Brisbane. Darren, uh, do I have a good homemade recipe for a weed killer? Thanks. Now, Darren, uh, one of the classics uh, that's often used uh, is a vinegar and salt mixture. Salt and vinegar, it's a bit like fish and chips. Um, you'll sort of smell that sort of same smell. It's a contact spray, so you literally mix it up. Get yourself one of those little disposable hand sprays because what it does do is it'll eat away the valves inside the, uh, the, um, the spray and you'll lose your ability to sort of, I suppose, pressurise it in the future. Um, so you'll only probably get one or two uses out of that sprayer, but mix it up um, just, just for a general rule. You're going to use around about 100 grams of salt to a litre of vinegar and you mix it thoroughly so the salt is thoroughly dissolved through. What's basically happening is you're dehydrating the, um, the plant's foliage immediately with the vinegar and then the salt will actually go down into the soil and kill off any roots. And it's pretty good against most things. You're not going to kill perennial grasses, things like kaikuyu and cooch, they will hang on. So um, hopefully that helps, Darren. Good spot sprayer for you. Claire is in Cavisham. Hello, Claire. Now, let's have a look. You've uh, given us a photograph here, and we'll have a look at that photo. Okay, this is a really good problem, Claire. You've got an issue that, that even I've experienced, and that is you've got a beautiful cooch lawn down, and suddenly you see kaikuyu uh, popping up. Now, kaikuyu is a very vigorous grass from Africa and uh, loves our climate, and it grows all year round. Now, the problem with that is that cooch tends to um, solve itself um, by, uh, oh, sorry, not solve itself, but, but basically slow itself down by cooler weather. So once you get into the winter, it stops growing, but the kaikuyu keeps growing. So um, some people call, call it kaikuyu, um, but it, it's uh, whatever the name is, it doesn't matter. It's a great grass for sporting fields. It's very, very tough but it does tend to uh, take off and, and run through. So, Claire, you're wondering about the solution to this problem. My suggestion to you, and it's only the only one I can, well, I'll give you two. One is you can literally get some, some Roundup, and you will need to use Roundup or, or glyphosate or Zero, and you'll have to paint it on the patches of Kaikuyu, and you'll have to just keep doing that until it eventually disappears. Or you can get that weed and feed spray. Now, you don't want the one for buffalo grasses. You want the traditional weed and feed. And what will happen is it won't knock the cooch back, but it will knock the kaikuyu back. It might not kill it completely, but it'll certainly knock it back pretty severely. So um, hopefully that helps. It's not an easy problem. Uh, in my lawn, I pretty much accepted my fate because I've got so much lawn and uh, in the area where it's come up, I've let it grow through and I mow it as same as I would have done the grass variety that I had in there previously, which was zoysia grass. 
and uh, and it, it looks fantastic. So um, sometimes it's just Mother's Nature's way of saying, all right, well, the strongest survive and thrive. And in my garden, I've let that take over eventually. You don't have to do that. You can try what I've suggested. Carl's in New South Wales. Hello, Carl. Leaf curl on my lemon tree. What could be wrong? Okay, well, this has caused... So citrus leaf miner is a very common pest. It's a moth that's active just on dusk, lays its eggs. I think we talk about this every single week in the new foliage. And as the new foliage starts to grow, the little larvae are actually eating the foliage and it causes it to twist and gnarl, giving you that curled leaf effect. Now you can control it and it's not a toxic spray that you need. What you need to do is get your hands on some horticultural oil. So that's eco oil or white oil or one of those various oils and you spray it over the foliage, ideally around about 4.30 in the evening. Uh, you might do it a couple of days in a row, and then you won't do it again for another two weeks. Now, what's happening is the oil will smother out any eggs and any larvae that are sitting inside the leaf. It literally creates a, a coating over the top of the foliage. The second thing is that um, the moths themselves don't like landing on the foliage. They really dislike it. So they will tend to nick off as soon as it's... Um, as soon as it's uh, sort of been applied and uh, that stops them from laying the foliage, laying the eggs in the foliage that you're, um, that you're actually dealing with. So hopefully, hopefully that helps. Um, but yeah, it's a fairly common problem. And, it, and once you've done what I, I've suggested, maybe do a spray in the second week, you'll break the breeding cycle so the moths won't be that active around your trees anymore. Lisa is in SA. We've got a photo attached, Lisa. Thank you for sending that in. Got a frangipani problem. All right, I'm just going to see if I've got a... Oh, you have got a frangipani. Now, my frangipani, which has large branches that won't grow leaves. Now, search the net to see something resembling mine, but I'm unable to see anything. It is a very unusual problem you've got there. What you're seeing is a lot of different little growth buds trying to burst. And it's interesting that, that they haven't burst. Now, this would typically be caused to be quite honest, by some kind of spray or some kind of insect, uh, some kind of herbicide spray coming in contact with a plant. Normally, frangipanis are pretty resilient to this and they would grow out of that. Um, I'm not sure. I'd love to see what the base of the plant looks like just to see whether there's any, uh, whether you might have any sort of situation where it's been um, ring barked at the, the base of the tree because it does look like it's not getting enough flow of nutrients through the plant. I'm not sure about the water, but definitely the fertiliser. Just at the moment, give it a really good feed and see if you can push some of that foliage through and get it growing. Something's not right, Lisa, that's for sure, but have a look around the base of the tree and see if you've got anything that's ring-barked. Certainly around the base of the trees, don't ever use line trimmers um, with, with um, frangipanis because uh, they do not handle that damage to the cambium layer, that layer where nutrient flows up and down uh, and it's just under the bark of the tree. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Tyson's back this week. It's always good to have you with us, Tyson, in Victoria. Can you please give me some tips and advice on how to put bean seeds in my garden bed? Nothing easier, Tyson. Bright, sunny spot, free-draining, ideally sandy sort of base soil for beans. And um, you plant your seeds around about 10 to 15 centimetres apart. Make sure you've got a good frame for them. Unless they're the dwarf varieties, that's the only other one that you would be thinking about. Um, but yeah, look, you can um, you can put them into your into your garden right now, and uh, they don't go down. They only go they don't go down far. They only go down twice the width of the seed. 
is the depth into the soil that they go. Hopefully that helps you, Tyson. Keep the moisture up to them once they get growing. And uh, in a very short period of time, this time of the year, they will have uh, been delivering a lot of lot of uh, beans to you. Melanie is in WA. Hello, Melanie. Just wondering if you're able to help me. Do you know where in Perth am I able to buy garlic bulbs for growing? Well, it's a good question. You can buy garlic bulbs now. You want to go to your traditional markets, okay, because you want local garlic. It's a really important message here, and I'll explain it in a second. I do need to tell you that garlic shouldn't be planted until sort of May, late May, and let it grow through, and then you'll be harvesting in November. It is a winter crop. It's not a summer crop. Now, the reason I tell you that you should be looking for local is because if you're buying that white garlic that you see comes from Argentina and China, um, when it's imported, it's bleached. And that's why it's it's generally that really white colour. It's been bleached for a start. And the idea is to kill off any bugs around the outside. And then it's dipped in a um, in a anti-growth, basically a growth retardant or a regulant. And it stops it from growing properly. It never really will grow properly. So um, this is meant to stop viruses and stuff being introduced into our um, into our gardens here that exist in other parts of the world, but not necessarily in Australia. So there's two messages here. One is grow your own garlic at home. Absolutely. Look for local garlic when you're going to get your garlic established. And three is think twice before you buy garlic that's come from other parts of the world. When you think about what's what's being treated, um, it's a significant problem, I think, that we're ingesting something that's been dipped in bleach and a growth regulant or retardant. It can't be good for our systems. I'm sure it's not. Um, that's my personal view. Uh, but, you know, if I share it with you, hopefully you can um, make your own decisions and they're wise ones. All right, we'll keep rolling along. Uh, hopefully that helped Melanie in WA. Diana is in Melbourne in the western suburbs. You sent us a photograph, Diana. Let's have a, a bit of a look at this. All right, just wondering if you're able to help me. Do you, uh, sorry, this young lemon started producing fruit. It was just planted only a few months ago. I was told to sacrifice this crop and remove all the fruit. Is this correct? And if so, should I do it now? Please see the photos. And it's a great little photo showing the little the little lemons that have that have formed. And look, um, there's a bit of logic that needs to be applied to this. So the logic goes like this. A small tree, if it's not putting energy into the fruit and it puts a lot of energy into the fruit, um, it'll put it into the foliage. And you'll find that the foliage will grow and the frame of the tree will grow and it'll be able to produce a lot better crop for you next year. Um, and it, it does sort of depend because there's some varieties that fruit twice a year, some that fruit all through the year. Um, but my advice to you is that I would remove that crop because it will suck all the goodness out of the rest of the tree. The rest of the tree won't grow, won't produce a lot of foliage, and it'll be very slow until that fruit is picked. So my suggestion is you do take it off and give it a good feed. As soon as you do that, encourage it to grow. Uh, give it give it lots of water. Lemons love lots of water um, as they're establishing, and that's all you need to do. Hopefully that helps, Diana. Maybe not the answer you wanted if you really do want lemons early, but um, it is worth the sacrifice because next year you'll get a great crop and the tree will be able to handle it properly. Dan is in the is in Sydney in the eastern suburbs. He comes to us via YouTube. You must remember, folks, that you can join us via YouTube if you haven't done before. I've got mushrooms growing out from the soil of my blueberry pots. 
Is this a clear indication that the soil is too damp and wet? Is this a major problem for blueberry growth? The rain has been very heavy here lately. So mushrooms, uh, generally the spores will get growing and you'll see the fruit, which is what we see or, or, you know, come out of the ground. Um, and it, it's it's uh, fungi of all types. So it's highly likely that these are not edible fun, you know, fungi. These are probably just a um, just one of the many thousands of different varieties of fungi that uh, that do grow on organic material when moisture levels are high. What it is doing is it's telling you that uh, the soil is slightly acidic, which is great. It means that your blueberry should be pretty happy and healthy. And look, the the fungi is actually converting the organics into fertilizer anyway that your that your um, uh, blueberries will be able to use it's not a problem don't go feeling you have to remove them if you want to take them out you certainly can but that's um that's not a big it's not a big problem like a lot of people would think now i want to talk to you about a pretty amazing plant uh we we in my garden in my house we have a bit of a, a love of different flowering plants that are extremely fragrant. So right at the moment, we've got honeysuckle and we've got the night jasmine, which is a beautiful flowering plant. It flowers are insignificant, but the fragrance is spectacular. Um, the honeysuckle fragrance is spectacular as well. But one of the best, the all-time best, is a spring and, and sometimes winter flowering, depending on where you are, a plant called Daphne. And it's called Daphne odora and it's odor, odora, highly fragrant. So... There's, um, there's a few different types started to emerge and the guys at Garden Express have managed to get their hands on a couple of them. And joining us this morning is Rowan Peterson. G'day, Rowan. How are you, mate? Hey, I'm well, Trev. How are you? Yeah, good. It's good to see you, mate. Uh, obviously, you've got David out in the fields working hard. I love your, I love your work. That's great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's all hands on deck at the moment because we're getting our spring bulbs out. So, yeah. Um, I bet. Casual attire today and classic david i mean he's hands-on he's he leads by example which is terrific but let's not talk about spring flowering bulbs today let's talk about just just before we do can i just go to the question about garlic earlier yeah Um, sure it is a spring flowering bulb virtually um and we've got it in our current spring flowering bulb catalog um so locally grown we've got a white version and a purple version um, so oh, if anyone's having any trouble getting hold of them from their local places, by all means, jump on online because we've got them available now. That's a, that's a, thank you so much for that. Now, actually, um, when you when you raise that, um, the catalogue's out at the moment, isn't it? It is, yeah. So yeah. Um, it's jam-packed of, uh, with spring flowering bulbs, obviously all the, all the daffodils, tulips, etc. But um, alliums is one of, the, one of the, uh, the ones in there and obviously – Garlic is part of the Allium family. Yeah, well, um, certainly now is the kind of place your order, right? Yeah, absolutely. Place your order now. We'll get it out to you. Um, garlic, as you mentioned earlier, plant that sort of late April, early May, um, and it'll it'll be ready to harvest um, in September. Um, yeah. We'll just note quickly on the garlic for people in WA, being that you guys are based there, is we do have quarantine restrictions. Unfortunately, we can't um, send garlic to WA, Tasmania or Northern Territory, but for the rest okay. of the states, we can, uh, we can definitely help you out with garlic. Good news for all of our friends in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria. And I, I suppose, you know, you raise an interesting point and that is the cooler your climate, the earlier you can plant them. So if you're in Tassie, 
Victoria, you probably should be thinking about late April, early May. But if you're in WA, it's probably mid to late May, depending on how cool it is, and Queensland around the same sort of timing, just uh, just as a point. Now, Rowan, um, one of the hardest plants, I, I've, got, I've got, in fact, my mum who lives with us, um, she's got one beautiful Daphne that when it's in flower, um, it's, it's, she, she lives in a separate apartment, but when it's in flower, um, the, I, I think the fragrance would cover 150 square metres. It is spectacular. It's a beautiful flowering plant, but they're not easy to get your hands on. They're quite rare to, to, to track down, aren't they? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. We we often get them in a smaller pot, but this this year we've got some. And and you did you did touch on it in the beginning of the interview. Um, very limited stocks of um, of these in two hundred mil pots. So established root system, ready to either be repotted on or go straight into the ground. Uh, we've got a, a pink one and a white one available, uh, right. which which are beautiful. And like you say, the the. For me, the the aroma of a Daphne is probably second to only roses, and, and on today, perfect. Yeah, look, you know what? I, I think um, I, I really think Daphne is one of those collectible plants that you know it, it's it's sort of tends to be needed to be treated a bit like, say, a rhododendron or. Um, but um, the the Daphne is one of those plants. It's treated very much like a rhododendron, a azalea, camellia in that it does prefer a slightly acidic soil, um, not not too acidic, but slightly acidic. Um, in climates like WA's tends to be a little bit better, South Australia, a little bit better under a little bit of afternoon shade and protection. But in yeah. most other places, it's actually pretty good in full sun. In fact, my mum's grows in a pot in full sun and it's it's got no problems at all. Um, yeah. And a tip, it will prefer a morning sun. Um, if, you, if you can, morning sun, it will love and thrive in. Ideal, yeah, and and Rowan, these are quite. This is quite a large size to get your hands on. So, what, what's the deal with it? Okay, so it's thirty nine dollars down from forty two ninety. So a slight saving on those ones, but it, it is in a two hundred mil pot or a twenty centimeter pot. Um, so you can see there, it's a, it is a well established plant. Um, you know, ready to go straight into the ground or be potted up into a large pot. Um, yeah, Daphne traditionally. Um, don't like to be transplanted too much. So once you get it into your pot or into your position in the garden, leave it there and let it go. Um, I've always planted one of these under my bedroom window for that fragrance. It's, you know, late late, um, late winter, early spring, um, yeah. the flowers will, will start to burst out and the fragrance is incredible. The ability to get a pink and a white is, is pretty amazing. Um, I know last week, mate, we had um, literally hundreds of people after the show uh, jumping onto our Facebook page and saying, oh, I couldn't get them, you know, they'd sold out. It's one of those big challenges for you guys because what most people don't appreciate is the nursery industry's undergone uh, an unprecedented level of demand since COVID hit. We've seen people move into their gardens and start buying record amounts of plants. And this has meant that it's very hard to get your hands on the volumes that we would all like to, to be able to, to buy. So it, it really is a first-in, first-serve basis, isn't it? It is this week. Um, last week, same thing. Um, but this week we've got, um, I think from memory, we've got 50 of each variety. So it really right. is kind of an exclusive for your Guru's Live viewers because they will sell. Um, so if you want to get your hands on one, definitely jump online, 
gardenexpress.com.au and don't leave it to the last minute because you will miss out, unfortunately. Terrific. And, and Rowan, obviously, once you're online, you can have a look at the online catalogue. You can check out all the bits and pieces that are available. It's not just plants. There's great garden tools, all sorts of things, and it's yep. all delivered direct to your door, right? Yep, all around the country. So um, other than quarantine, uh, certain plants, which obviously have quarantine issues in certain states, we are delivering all around the country. Um, so, yeah, jump online, place your order, and we'll get it out to you straight away. Fantastic, mate. Look, you guys, week in, week out, you never fail. You always uh, come up with something good, something that's really difficult sometimes to get your hands on. In this particular instance, Daphne, they're as rare as hen's teeth. So, folks, get in while you can. I'm sure we're probably going to be looking at people saying, um, I'm trying to buy them now and they're already sold out. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you can get them. But, Rowan, thanks for joining us again this morning, mate. It's great to catch up with you and pass our best wishes on to David and all the team. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Trevor. Always a pleasure. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. What a great company. They, um, they really do help us when it comes to getting plants delivered direct to your door. If you can't get out and about, um, you know, take advantage of this. It's a great service. And to be quite honest, just the convenience of being able to order online and get your, you know, your bowl. Rowan brought up about, I'd forgotten all about the fact that they actually are a great source of um, something like garlic, which uh, they, they've probably got all the other alliums sitting in there as well. So worthwhile checking out the catalogue whilst you can. All right, now remember, we are um, flat out busy with so many questions, so make sure you tell us where you're from, uh, state and, and, and city ideally. And if you can, send us some, send us some photographs because it really does help. And, of course, if you like what we're doing, hit the like button, share it with your friends. It's all about sharing the love. That's why we're here. So we'll keep moving. Jame is in, um, oh, is in Geelong in Victoria. Jamie, you've sent us some photographs. This is great. Okay, let's have a bit of a look here. You can see we've got avocados. James said, uh, I've got an avocado tree planted about five months ago. I started getting some holes in the leaves. Seems like a pest. What do you think may be the cause and how to treat it? Now, if you have a close look at those holes, it may be a pest, but it could also be a little bit of damage. What you can see is there's brown edges around the outside of the holes and a slight yellowing around the outside of that. Now, what that means is the damage is being done. There's no new damage being done, which means whatever pest was there is actually gone. But what I found really interesting was taking a look at um, a couple of your other shots. The tree's quite a large tree, actually. It's about it looks like about five or six foot tall. And, um, and it doesn't have a lot of foliage on there. And this says to me, this new growth um, bud's definitely emerging, but it says to me that this tree needs to be fed, needs to be given some fertiliser. Uh, and I would recommend that you use a controlled release fertiliser. You want an all-round, something that's going to promote growth at this point in time and encourage that tree to get established. So um, I would be thinking Osmocote, probably all-purpose, is the ideal scenario. 
A tree that size, I'd be looking at anywhere between, so a handful's about 40 grams. I'd probably be talking about two handfuls sprinkled around about 45 to 60 centimetres evenly out from the trunk. Now, this is where all the roots are. And what you're going to do is the nutrients will go down slowly because osmocote is a controlled release fertiliser and it'll move through the soil. And this will encourage those roots to spread out through the, the soil and get established. It'll also support new foliage growth. And the more foliage you've got on the tree, the quicker the tree will establish and get itself going. So that is my recommendation. Um, that should help get your tree established. Avocados are a wonderful tree. I'm about to do a story for our Delish series this week on avocados because uh, I've got some new varieties at home and I'm trying to expand we use a lot of avocados. I'm trying to expand our fruiting season, so get more and more of them going. So, um, yeah, I think um, I think good luck, Jane. That's a, it's a fantastic tree to have in the garden, and you should um, try and put as many as you can in. Staying in Melbourne, uh, Carolyn, we're not sure what suburb you're from, but it's okay. Let's have a look and see how we go. I've got a wine barrel I planted with daffodils last year, and I've planted petunias on top. I was wondering, will the daffodil bulbs rot with the watering? Should I remove them? Look, to be honest, no. They should be fine, particularly in Melbourne. If you get a nice, cool winter, they should be chilled down enough to really produce some good flower buds. Um, I don't think I don't think you've got any problems, to be quite honest, Carolyn. I think it's the perfect environment. So the great thing, you know, when people talk about water-saving plants, very rarely do you think of spring-flowering bulbs, but in actual fact, it's exactly what they are. They're one of the ultimate water-wise plants, and the reason is is that they produce growth during the winter. They start flowering the end of winter, going into the springtime. The end of spring, they've produced seeds. They start dying down during the summer. And, of course, they don't need any water. But it's your chance in an irrigated garden environment where you can go and plant other flowering plants like petunias on top. And uh, I think you're doing it well. Well done, Carolyn. Thank you for your contribution. Merv, we're staying in Melbourne, is in the Melbourne suburbs, and he sent us some photographs now. Had this magnolia for five years and it hasn't grown much, but it does flower. Is there anything I can do to help it or is it just in the wrong position? I've also never trimmed it. All right, so let's have a look at that. You can see it for a five-year-old magnolia, it ain't big. And this is a deciduous magnolia. So um, often a lot of people thinking magnolias these days, they think the evergreens, um, teddy bear and uh, some of those varieties. But this is one of those very beautiful um, deciduous varieties. I love them. Um, they do take a bit of time to get established. Having grass around the base of the tree competing with the roots, probably not ideal, Merv. Um, what I would do if I was you is I'd put some newspaper down over the top of that grass and I'd have a bit of a ring, um, probably about 30 to 60 centimetres wide with a layer of mulch about that thick. Now, the thing with this is you want to push growth, so you need to be feeding it. And I just talked about Osmocote, the all-purpose um, variety. Um, this is absolutely perfect. Oh, sorry, Mary. I should have said, sorry, it's not Merv, it's Mary in Melbourne suburbs. Excuse me, Mary. Um, but the, the thing with this is that um, is that you don't need to prune it. You do need to feed it and you need to keep the water up to it. And what you want is you don't want the grass taking up those nutrients before the magnolia can take it up. They do take a long time to get their root system established. So my suggestion is feed it, mulch it, keep the water up to it. It should flush more growth pretty soon. They tend to have an autumn flush. 
and that will help enormously in getting the tree established, which is all you need to do. So sorry, Mary, you're definitely not Merv, and you've got a beautiful magnolia. Okay, Carolyn, let's go. We're staying, no, yes, where are we? Oh, we're in Gippsland. It's Krista, actually. Hello, uh, Krista, we're in Victoria still. Best advice for shade cloth, what percentage is best and which veggies really need covering at this time of the year? Okay, anything less than 50%. So what you don't want is you don't want to shade your veggies out too much. You want to protect them from the sun. And a 50% white shade cloth is probably going to be the ideal scenario. But if it's less, anything sort of 20 30%, I'd be happy with that as well. In fact, I'd probably be happier with a, a lesser shade factor than anything else. The reason why I say white, so, you know, you can get black, you can get green, great thing about white is it actually reflects light and it also diffuses the, the light evenly. So what you end up with is far more even sort of growth plants underneath it. So if you're going to use it, I don't know, let's say 30, 40, 50%, uh, maximum 50% white. And uh, remember, as soon as we basically get into sort of, I don't know, end of March or even mid-March in Victoria and Gippsland, I would take it off and just let them get uh, natural sunlight. It's really important that they get as much as they can. Carolyn is in southeast Queensland. Hello, everybody in southeast Queensland, and thanks for writing in, Carolyn. Okay, Queensland is having continual trouble with my four African daisy plants with aphids and black spot. I've been spraying them um, with uh, neem oil, okay, yep, and a little natural soap. Should I also trim them back this time of the year? They're rather lanky. Yeah, okay, it sounds to me like you're probably struggling with red spider mite on your, if they're if it's the African daisy. Um, not an uncommon problem for them. What I would suggest you do is you, you sort of, neem oil might help. Uh, certainly um, horticultural soap will help. But the one that will really help en enormously is just to use a horticultural oil. So eco oil or one of those or as white oil uh, will help trimming them back will also help but if you're getting really hot days and I think my last time I had a look Queensland's weather was reasonably mild sort of in the mid-20s is fine but if you're getting into the mid-30s don't go cutting them back until you're in the cooler cooler conditions and that'll help with them as they go along okay uh, let's go we'll come back to Perth Amanda hello um, lovely to have you join us. Can you tell me how to present, uh, prevent small little ants getting into indoor plants and digging out the potting mix? All right. It's an unusual problem. Um, I'm a it's an unusual thing that the ants are coming inside. That's the bit that I'm concerned about. And I think you probably need to think about an ant barrier uh, treatment somewhere around the outside of your house. Um, uh, Amanda, what I would suggest you do, it sounds like a crazy thing to, to suggest, but get some talcum powder and just gently put a layer of the talcum powder over the top of the potting mix where these ants are active. Um, what it is is talcum powder is so fine and ants, when you look at them under a microscope, even the small ones, their bodies have all this armour, this like shell, protective shell around the outside of them. And that fine powder gets underneath the shell and causes them great discomfort. They don't like it at all. So they get up and they move elsewhere. And that's really what you want them to do. You don't want them, obviously, being in your indoor plants. Very strange thing, though. And uh, the other thing I would suggest to you, with everybody who's got ants in their indoor plants, is apply a wetting agent and soak the soil thoroughly. 
because those ants will be staying in a dry spot within that potting mix somewhere as well. Hopefully that helps. Joe, you're in Melbourne. I'd like to harvest seeds from my petunias and pansies but can't seem to find the seeds. Is this because there's some kind of hybrid which I originally purchased in punnets from my local nursery? Well, typically they should be producing seeds. It will emerge after um, after the, the flowering and you'll see this little tiny sort of um, ovule where the seeds are being produced and it kind of swells up, particularly noticeable with uh, petunias, with pansies, very difficult to spot, um, but they're so tiny. And that's what I think is going on. I just think you're just missing them because they are tiny and it really is probably just easier for you to um, to go and take them and, and I, I would suggest um, and get new parts. I, that's probably how I would do it. Very rare for you to even buy pansy and petunia seeds um, from the flowers, uh, flower seed section in your local garden centre or, or hardware store. And the reason is because the seed is tiny and uh, it's expensive and it is difficult to get your hands on. If you can actually harvest them, of course, you can end up with some pretty interesting hybrids occurring. So it's up to you. Hopefully that helps a little bit. It's not a lot, I know. Now, roses, uh, obviously with um, with what's going on today being you know that very special time of the year, that um, Valentine's Day, roses are a very special plant. And um, mine in my garden have copped a hammering. Now, this is seduction. Um, my mate Nev Passmore introduced this one into Western Australia many, many years ago uh, from one of our, both one of our mates, um, Kim Sirris, who introduced them uh, into South Australia and, and distributed them around the country. One of the very best flowering roses. There's a common theme here. This is another one um, pretty important. This is seduction and... Um, uh, oh, sorry, iceberg. This is the sorry. This is the burgundy iceberg. That's seduction. Burgundy iceberg, and one of the David Austins. And uh, aren't they just beautiful, complex flowers, and heavenly fragrant as well? So we've got three different types here, but there is a common theme with all of these at the moment, and they're all small. And uh, the small size of the flower is due to excessive heat, which we've had a lot of here. In fact. Um, we're on track for another 40-degree day. So the previous record was seven 40-degree days uh, through the summer months. I think uh, WA is on track, or Perth is on track, I should say, for 15 by the end of this week, the way it's going. It's crazy. And roses love it hot, but there's two things that happen. They, the flowers tend to get a bit smaller. Uh, they tend to put on a fair bit of growth during this really hot weather, which mine are doing, so they're, they're growing strongly. Um, they're also very susceptible to thrips, the flowers themselves. And the thrips tend to attack the bud as it's starting to develop. And this can affect the size of the flower and also the longevity of the flower so they can drop all their petals quickly. So I find with roses right now the most important thing to do is actually to give them a feed and make sure you've deadheaded them. So take all those spent buds off. If there's new buds emerging, this is a really important thing. You need to support that growth to get those flowers to be nice and large again. As the weather becomes milder, you'll end up with those big flowers that you see in, in sort of spring and late or sort of early summer. Now, when it comes to feeding roses at my house, this is what I use. Okay, so this is the Osmocote and I am trying to show you. There we go. This one is designed specifically for flowering plants. So they'll talk about roses, but they'll also talk about azaleas, camellias, gardenias. They all benefit from this. But can you see inside, 
and I'm showing it to you there. See the, the prills? There's some multicolored prills. So this is a special mix of nutrients in this one. Now, it, it's like all the other Osmocotes. It's got a controlled release factor, so it releases over many months. But one of the things that makes this so good for roses in particular, and gardenias is the other one, is that it's also got a wetting agent in it. And that's the sort of color variation you're seeing in here. So when you apply this into your, at the right at the moment, into the soil around the top of your rose bushes, and you can see a little bit of an example of some being used here. This is mainly in potted plants, but it doesn't matter whether they're in the ground or whether they're in the pot. You apply it over the top and then give it a good water. Osmocote um, works by temperature. So the warmer the temperature, um, the more activity and, and moisture, I should say, and you can see some rainfall here, you can see it, it activates, it releases more nutrient. Now, this is really important because roses can take, they can grow really fast and they can take that nutrient, nutrient up now if you're applying it. But this will continue to feed over a long period of time and it's got a very complex diet. So it's also got lots of iron in it, lots of magnesium, those greening agents that are so important for the healthy leaf growth. Um, and six months of feeding. So I, if you've got roses, um, now is the time to be feeding them. And just to give you an idea, normally you'd use a little scoop here and you'd probably put one scoop, maybe two scoops per, per bush. Because of the time of the year we're in, I would grab a handful, so it's about 40 grams, and spread that around the outside of the base of the plant, right on the drip zone. So that's where the, you know, the, the canopy comes up like this. You want to be around the outside edge of the canopy because when it does rain and when your sprinklers are on, the water drips down there. It'll activate that osmocote. It'll keep the nutrients going down. It'll keep your roses growing strongly. This is a really good product. You cannot go wrong with this. You can't burn your plants. You can't set them back. And it's designed specifically for roses and other acid-loving plants. As I mentioned, gardenias, rhododendrons, camellias, azaleas, they all love it. And now is the time to be plant, to planting and, and, and most importantly, to be getting this fertiliser onto them. Hopefully that helps you get your roses on track. I know mine have just been fed and we're only about um, probably four weeks away from spectacular flowering. Now's the time to, to set that up, so get into it. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. And don't forget, if you like what we're talking about today, if you've got questions or you like the format or if you've got any feedback, one is you can, you can tell us what you think because that's the great thing about, you know, the Garden Gurus Live is that we can have a two-way conversation. So you can tell us what you think. You can ask your questions. And if you really do like what's going on, please hit the like button because it shares it with your friends and it just builds our community. And that's what we want to do. People who are looking for solutions to problems, who are looking for great plants, who want a good deal from Garden Express, who want to know what fertiliser to get the best results from their, their roses in this particular case. Um, that's what it's all about, sharing ideas. Now, got some really good questions coming in. And um, I think we'll start um, in Kangarilla in the Adelaide Hills. This is Amanda. Gets quite windy where you are. Um, when is the best time to plant Clistamon seedlings? Best time to plant Clistamon seedlings is going to be when you get your first rains. So literally your first winter rains 
um, where you start to move into that traditional winter rainfall pattern is when they go into the ground. And don't do it before then. You don't want them to set back. What you want is you want soil moisture levels to be really good and you want your plant to be getting consistent moisture after that. And don't be scared to feed them. Clistamins love being fed. So even a tree planting tablet going into the bottom of the hole before you put your seedlings down, good way to go. Hopefully that helps. Sandra, you're in Victoria. My tomato bushes uh, have leaves dying off. What can I do? I've got the same thing, Sandra. Mine is from extreme heat and I bet you yours is too. I've not been keeping enough moisture up to mine. I've got a limited moisture uh, water supply and I tend to spread it, spread the love around. But when it comes to this time of the year, under these extreme conditions, they do want to have more moisture. So if you were to stand there and give them a good drenching every second night, it will help enormously. If you were to put a bit of, bit of mulch down and wherever there is dead foliage or any dead growth, get your secateurs out and prune it off now. Most importantly, give them a feed, all right? Do them the world of good. And actually, you know, I talked about these for for roses and for others, but this particular fertiliser um, for tomatoes does amazing things, absolutely incredible. It'll produce, it'll get them flowering again, and that'll get them producing lots and lots of fruit. Hopefully that helps. Okay, how are we going? We're 9.44. We've got 15 minutes to go. Get your questions in. It will fly. Okay, and I'm not sure where you're from. Remember, tell us where you are from, folks. We've been pretty good today. Just about everybody has done that. Um, but uh, it, it does get a little bit difficult. Anne's question is, I have an orchid tree and it's growing really fast. Should I trim it back to keep it from getting leggy? And the answer is, Anne, absolutely. Don't be scared to prune your orchid tree. This is Bohinia. Um, the one that's growing really fast at the moment is probably Bohinia blakeana, which is the Hong Kong orchid tree. And um, that does put a lot of growth out during quite warm conditions. And shaping it, keeping it nice and compact, will do one of two things. One is it'll stop it getting leggy. Two is it produces more growth. And as such, uh, you'll end up with um, a, a lot of um, a significant amount of flower. All right. Leanne, you're in Doreen in Victoria. I've got a seed pot on my volunteer camellia tree. Do I leave it till it opens? Yeah, absolutely. You can put a... Um, uh, a, a bag around the outside, uh, ideally a mesh bag. Um, but, yeah, they, they actually produce like a fruit. And when the fruit is ripe, it'll start to crack and the seed will fall out. So if you've got a little bag around the outside, a bit like, I don't know whether you've seen those fruit fly exclusion bags that you can get, and I think you can get them online from Garden Express. They are perfect for this, Leanne. So that uh, if you want to clip the seed. And who knows what you'll get. If you grow it from seed, you should get some variation, which is quite exciting. Okay, let's keep moving. Um, Sarah is in North Dandelup, which is uh, south of Perth, um, about an hour or so, hour and a half. I have a potted mulberry tree and the leaves are extremely bright yellow green and it's never developed fruit. I've had it for over a year and I've used sea salt on it. What can I do? Well, you need to provide fertilizer and sea salt isn't fertilizer. It is a soil tonic and uh, it's very, very good for helping plants get established, for getting new roots growing, for transplanting, for helping avoid stress, but you will need to add a fertilizer to it. Now, interestingly enough, you want something that's gonna move quite fast. And what I would recommend you do is you apply a manure in this particular instance, probably cow manure. Um, and depending, it's, so you've said it's in a pot, 
So a small layer, not too much, and you need to make sure when you open your bag of manure, if it's really rich in its ammonia flavour that comes out of it, just use a small amount. But um, mulberries do love lots of nitrogen this time of the year, and they're going to get it from these manures. So cow or chicken, two really good ones. Um, granulated, uh, if it's a granulated chicken, you can't go wrong. Um, but you should be applying fertiliser and seesaw is not fertiliser. So that should be a, a learning for everybody. Um, if you're going to do, you know, if you're going to do seesaw, it's all about making sure you're activating the soil, getting minerals that are stored in the soil that weren't previously available, um, available to the plants. I hope that helps Sarah in North Dandelup. Thank you. Going back to Adelaide, it's great to have you guys joining us in Adelaide. We do get lots and lots of questions coming through, so I am hoping we'll see more from you because uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. Tracy, uh, I've got a three-year-old pink frangipani that hasn't flowered. It's in a pot. Any suggestions? Interestingly enough, Tracy, the pink is one of the most prolific flowering of the lot, and it probably suggests that at the moment you're giving it too much moisture, so too much water, too much fertiliser, particularly if that fertiliser is not a special, you know, specific fertilizer like this one. Remember, I mentioned this before. For roses, this is designed to make plants flower. If you are using a general fertilizer, an all-purpose, it's got a high nitrogen level. It should produce lots of growth, but very little flower. So my suggestion is that you make sure you're using the right fertilizer and back the water off. A little bit of shock won't hurt at all. Okay. Um, We'll come back to WA. Singleton uh, is just south of Perth, coastal suburb. Kathy wants to know, how can I stop my healthy eggplants from grubs eating the fruit? Big problem at the moment, Kathy. Uh, as, the, as the fruit starts to mature, you will get these grubs in there, and the only real solution is to use one of the sprays. Now, there's a spray called um, Spinosad, and you'll buy it um, as, under the brand name of Success. And uh, that is fantastic for getting control of those grubs. So I would, I would head into your local garden centre and get yourself some of that. But, you know, talk, while you're in there, talk to, the, um, talk to the horticulturalist and explain what it is because they will know this problem. It will be going on with everybody who's growing eggplants and you want to act now and, and get control of it as quickly as you can. Okay, um, George is in Adelaide. Uh, can, so we're back in Adelaide, which is great. Can you please tell me how far away from the house should I plant a little gem magnolia? Well, I think when we first sort of saw Little Gem introduced, we were sort of like, oh, this is a plant that gets to about three to four metres. We now know that they get a lot bigger than that. And they do have quite a, a, a decent root system. could still be planted probably a couple of metres off the house. Um, but, yeah, three metres off the house, ideal. That's what I would recommend, George. Hopefully that helps. Staying in Adelaide, this is great. Now, see what happens? Everybody's joining us from Adelaide, which is fantastic. Get your questions in. Great to have you join us. And from every other part of Australia, don't be scared to, um, to obviously uh, put your questions forward. Dawn has two ballerina apple trees, and they've started to drop the apples. Is it time to pick them? They are a good size, but they're very green. Well, if they're dropping the apples, pick them for sure, okay? It's a good indicator that they are ripe and ready, and they may not be colouring up because there can be some green forms. And two is because it just might be a bit hot there, and you might find that fruit's not changing colour. I noticed that over here with this extreme heat, gala apples are turning yellow, not turning red. Now, as they age, they should get that colour and you'll see that with the ones you pick as well. 
you want to sort of keep them for a bit longer, you can pop them in the crisper. And uh, when they're in the crisper, you will see them start to colour up a fair bit as well. So hopefully that helps. Dawn in Adelaide, John, not sure where you're from. Um, you need to let us know. Make sure you tell us, folks. I've got a problem with rust on my frangipani. Any idea? Yeah, rust on frangipanis is pretty common. This is where knowing where you're from really does help. You can spray for rust and uh, you, you probably really should. Um, if you're in Queensland, and particularly if you're in far north Queensland or if you're in Darwin and you've got high humidity or you're in Broome and you've got very high humidity, um, the problem is it's going to be very hard to beat that rust at the moment. Um, there, are, there are specific fungicides for spraying rust and it depends on how big your frangipani is. Um, but, yeah, the question is, is it worth doing something when you're in, a, in the rainy season and, and so on? So I'm not sure where you are, John. If you're in the south, you know, southern states, definitely get in and give it a spray right now. If you're in the northern states, you can spray it, but the truth of the matter is um, you'll have to find a dry day because you need that spray and you need to get it under the foliage, not over the top of the foliage is the other bit of advice I've got for you. Hopefully that helps. John, please let us know where you're from. Staying in Adelaide, Port Broughton in Upper York Peninsula. That's fantastic. Thanks for joining us, Margaret. Um, the soil in my raised garden bed has slumped significantly. Why is this? Should I top it up with more soil or compost or should I wait until the veggies that are in the bed have finished first. This is the veggies taking up all the nutrients and the nutrients was coming from the organic material and the organic material is breaking down. That's what's causing the slumping. Now it happens with potting mixes, it happens with anything that's got organics in it and you'll find, you know, you filled it to the top of the pot or to the top of the garden bed and then suddenly, you know, 12 months later, it's dropped and it's dropped maybe, you know, 10 centimetres. Very common problem. What should you do? I would be topping it up with compost. Don't let the compost get up against the edge of your veggies, but have it in all the other gaps around the outside, and this will keep them going. Once that crop's finished, I would fill the whole bed up with organics again. I would be topping it up with a really well-composted um, organic material, and then I would dig it in to that, that soil that's below because the problem with slumping is that it also develops compaction, and compaction means less air in the soil, and that means that less root, get less root activity and you don't get great results. So yeah, bit of work to be done on your soil, but don't be scared to put a bit of compost in even when your veggies are growing. Okay, Maruchador, we're going to see Mary. Hello, Mary. Um, thank you for your question. Does it hurt a raphus palm trunk if you refill the pot? It's in. The soil has nearly all disappeared. This is exactly what we just talked about. A very similar problem. Um, it's time to replant that raphis palm. And what I would do is I'd take it out and I would bang the bottom of the, the root system and I'd knock as much soil out as I could. And then I would put some good soil in the bottom of the pot, some really good potting mix. Now, look for those red ticks, that Osmocote professional potting mix. In fact, I've been using the, the Osmocote that comes in the blue bag and the results I'm getting at the moment with repotting is incredible. So raphis palms will love that. So I would be putting them into some really good soil and then I would be making sure that I give it a good soaking with a seaweed extract. It will help enormously. Vinette is in, we'll continue on, we'll come back to WA. Balladura, hello Vinette. When do you fertilise fruit trees in 100 litre containers and what do you fertilise with and how much? All right, so fruit trees, 100 litre containers, quite a large container. Um, I'm trying to put that into scale. It's a reasonable size. Um, 
100 litre bags, you'd typically uh, be applying a controlled release fertiliser in, in a contained environment. So again, uh, you're not going to use this, you're going to use probably the Osmocote all-purpose. But again, Osmocote controlled release fertiliser this time of the year, unbelievable results. That's what I would be using. If you want to know how much, 100 litre, I would suggest uh, you're probably talking about two to three handfuls, so it's around about 100 grams or so. It sounds like a lot, but there's a lot of root system in those those big bags and uh, the plant's going to need that nutrient. Remember that it's only available as moisture is applied, so you do need to make sure that you're drenching the surface of the soil, washing that osmocote into the topsoil ideally, um, but activating it and getting it to release those nutrients. And you probably in 100-litre containers you're probably using every second day 100 litres of water per tree if you want to get the real growth out of them that you want, Vinette. I, I hope that helps. Sounds like a lot, and it is a lot, but but fruit trees in particular, anything in a big container, needs a lot of love. Cherie, I'm not sure where you're from, Cherie, but uh, you've said, I'd love to add some variegated indoor plants to my collection. Lots of white. Just purchased a Syngonium Fantasy, lovely white variegation. Would love to get a variegated Monstera, but they're worth $500 plus. I think if you're looking um, on Facebook Marketplace, they are, but certainly some garden centres have them and uh, particularly specialists. If I knew where you were, I might be able to help you with that a little bit, Sheree. You need to let us know. If you're in Perth, I'd be going to Waldex. If you're in Sydney, I'd be going to Eden Gardens. And if you're in Melbourne, I'd be going to Garden World because you will find those rare white variegated forms in that environment. Um, you've asked, is there any others you should be looking out for? Well, one that I saw the other day that I'd forgotten about is you can get this beautiful white variegated ginger and um, it's fantastic indoors because if you brush against the foliage, you do get this ginger um, fragrance. But the best thing about it is the white variegation is striking against um, probably a lime green almost, a, a light green anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, that one probably, again, a little bit on the rarer side, and that's one of the things, but sounds to me like you've got an interesting collection, Sheree. Maybe you could do us a favour and post us some photographs and we will um, we'll show them next, next week. I'd love to do that. All right, we're running out of time. It is 9.58. I can't believe it. The hour has flown, but not before we answer. Joe Jones question she's from serpentine in wa can you recommend an evergreen tree to about seven meters tall that'll attract birds i've got a one acre property and need about three um part shade to full sun no suckers or possibility of going feral okay um i'm going to suggest to you uh, just as we've been sitting here we've got just outside of our window uh, and lining the street, we have got these um, magnificent trees up and down the street. They're liquid ambers. They're full of nuts at the moment. And those trees, the foliage is all over the ground. Chewed up nuts are laying on the ground. It's because we've got um, red tail black cockatoos sitting in the trees eating them. That's obviously a deciduous tree. When it comes to evergreens, I would suggest that you would be looking at one of the evergreen eucalypts. Now, there are some beautiful varieties of the red flowering gum or hybrids between the red flowering and some of the other flowering gums that you can get. They're, some of them are only sort of five metres tall, but they are magnificent. And when they're in flower, which some of them are in flower this time of the year, um, they're producing magnificent blooms, which are bringing birds in, bringing bees in. 
I'd suggest you duck into your local garden centre and have a bit of a chat. Some good ones out your way. That will help enormously, Joe. Hopefully that's, uh, that's of help to you. All right, I've got one more question I'm going to answer today. I'm really sorry for those people who have asked questions and we haven't got to them, but we will try and help you out next week. Marina is in Sydney. Hello, Marina. Do camellias have deep root systems? We have a large plant tree planted close to the wall near water pipes. Is this an issue? I've been getting contradicting, contradicting information. Okay, all right. Camellias do have quite an intense root system. It's quite, um, it, it's, it's quite uh, vigorous. Uh, they tend not to necessarily track towards drains or pipes unless they're leaking. And so it gets down to the type of pipes you've got. So if you've got sealed PVC pipes, it's probably not going to make any difference for the camellias. They're not going to get into them. There's no water coming out of them, so it shouldn't be an issue. But if you've got the old-fashioned, if you're in an older house marina, and you've got the old-fashioned clay pipes or ceramic pipes, um, they tend to leak. And, and plants love getting their roots into those pipes. And that's that's a bit of an old age-old problem. Um, so I can't answer it 100% for you. I can tell you they do have a pretty good root system. Uh, they will, if there's moisture in the soil, they'll go to that moisture. And if that's coming out of a pipe, they'll probably follow it into the pipe. Uh, the rest is up to you. So hopefully that helps a little bit anyway, just gives you a bit of background. But uh, camellias are a wonderful plant. And as a general comment, uh, once they've matured, um, they have quite an intense root system around the base of them. Um, they tend not to run off in, into too distant uh, sort of um, pathways. They tend to sort of stay within a few metres of the, of the parent plant. So you should be fine. Hopefully that helps. All right. Well, how did we go? Did you like what we did? Um, we try and help your questions, help you with your questions each week and do our best here on The Garden Gurus to introduce you to new ideas and lots of great things to do in your backyard, lots of new plants and also, most importantly, some vitally important things. So that feeding message today, and I've shown you several times today, but now is definitely the time to be out giving your garden a feed with a controlled release fertiliser. Pot plants, garden beds, particularly those exotic plant species, give them a feed. It's my advice. If you like what we've done, hit the like button. I'm sorry if I didn't get to your questions. I've tried to belt through them as much as I can. Robin has done an amazing job and she will be sending a message out to our seed winners after today's show. And I will be back next Monday for another episode of The Garden Guru's Live right here. And, of course, uh, that is at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time and 9 a.m. for WA viewers. Um, I know we've got a couple of other time zones. Just work that out, folks. Um, and don't forget to get your video submissions in by Facebook this Wednesday. Remember, we'll play your video. Show us your garden. I'd love to have a look around, see what it is, the problems are that you have. But at the same time, maybe give us a glimpse into your world. love looking into people's backyards. Two will be chosen next week. Remember to state your name, um, also your state and suburb, ideally, and clearly the question. Um, remember, you can always also, if you want more information or advice, jump onto our website. It's a wonderful resource. You can watch videos from The Garden Gurus um, on thegardengurus.tv or on our YouTube channel, uh, which is thegardengurus.tv on YouTube. And you can listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Audible. And that's it. 
I'm Trevor Cochran. I hope you had a great morning with us. I thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate your support. Happy gardening, everybody.